0: We'll go ahead and get started. I'll introduce myself. My name is Kevin Burke. I am the Assistant Director of Athletic Communications at George Washington University. Uh, I work with primarily our women's basketball program and also, also uh, our baseball program, our volleyball program, track and field, uh, men's tennis, and also women's rowing. So uh, this is a, our COSIDA coffee shop uh, talking about SIDs in the media. We have three great panelists today with Mark, Bud, and Danny. I'll intro- let them introduce themselves in just a second, but i uh, just want to let you all know this is a collaboration of uh, two of our great COSIDA committees, COSIDA U and the Young Professionals Committee. Uh, COSIDA U is a panel that is really interested in trying to make sure that uh, folks like yourselves that are trying to get in the profession, uh, trying to educate college students on the profession of sports information. Uh, so these webinars and these coffee shops that we do are really uh, beneficial in terms of those that want to break into the profession and. Uh, and really can help you out. And we're here to help you out as much as you can. And we also have another coffee shop coming up next week. Uh, so be sure to sign up. It's December 17th uh, for that one as well. And if you're interested in becoming a member of COSIDA, uh, Lori Bolig's here on the call, but you can email her as well. It's LoriBollig at COSIDA.com. So with the formalities out of the way, let's introduce our panelists. Uh, we'll start with uh, Marco France.
1: Everyone, my name is Mark. I'm Assistant AD for Communications at George Mason University. Uh, proud Syracuse graduate, and I uh, work primarily here at Mason with um, men's basketball, uh, and then also uh, women's lacrosse, uh, tennis, and rowing. And I oversee uh, so our social media strategy for our department.
2: Thanks, Mark. Bud. I get myself unmuted there. Um, I started off as, as a sports information director at Gonzaga before anybody knew who Gonzaga was, and then transitioned into television. I was a sports director on TV for 15 years, at the same time doing play-by-play for over 30 years for Washington State football and basketball, uh, retired from all that, and now I'm enjoying uh, doing play-by-play for Whitworth, Division three here in Spokane.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Bud. Great to have you. And Dan?
3: Hey guys, I'm excited to be here. Okay, so I played basketball at Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York, and then went into broadcasting right away It actually started my career because of SID's. So this is pretty cool to get to talk to all of you guys today. Um, but I've gone on to work in the NFL uh, for the Rams and covering the Seahawks, but then Back on the college level, I work for Stadium Network, so I travel around and cover cover all college football and college basketball. So primarily Mountain West Conference, WCC, um, and Conference USA, I would say, would be the ones that I'm around the most. Um, I also cover professional tennis, but kind of all over the map. I love sports, so just throw me in the mix and I'll figure it out, right?
0: That's perfect, Danny. We appreciate it. Uh, so for everybody here, we're going to have a, a bit of a conversation. We want this to be more of a, an open forum for you as well. So if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat box uh, for any of us, and uh, we'll be sure to get to them uh, as we, we have some predetermined topics, but also we want to hear what your questions are and how we can go ahead and, and answer your questions to the best of our ability. So uh, our first topic today, I'm, I'm gonna pitch it to Mark and talk about uh, building relationship and, and trust with the media. You work directly with men's basketball, George Mason in a premier media market in Washington, DC. So uh, how have you built relationships and trust with the media in such a major media market and how do you uh, reflect that to your job?
1: Absolutely, uh, You know, I think that the most important thing about, about any relationship with the media is it's the same as the relationship you'd have in your life. You wanna make sure you take care of it. You wanna make sure you're there for the person when they need help. Um, you know, our, our, we're in kind of a tough spot in D.C. Where, where, you know, George Mason is is behind the, you know, the, the Caps, the Nats, the Washington football team, and the Wizards, as well as the Mystics, D.C. United, Maryland, Georgetown. So Kevin and I, George uh, Mason, George Washington, are kind of in, in the same boat um, with the Washington Post and with the, with the four TV stations in D.C. Um, our beat writer for the Post, Steve Goff, um, he's also a national soccer writer. He travels to every World Cup. Um, but he still has an interest in Mason. Um, so I do everything I can uh, to stay in contact with him, especially maybe um, in the fall during soccer when he's probably not thinking about basketball. Um, you know, we get lunch uh, in the fall every year um, and kind of go over the team, uh, go over any key storylines, and also just um, go through some potential features throughout the year, not just for basketball, for anything. It may be the Washington Post, but last year we were able to get, you know, a feature on a women's soccer player um, who had been able to play Division One despite uh, being deaf and hard of hearing? So, um, those are the kind of stories where you know, at any school that you're going to work at, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, national, local, um, a good story is a good story, and I, I think um, media is always interested in hearing that stuff. Um, you know, I think for for Steve, um, you know, we've been able to build some trust, and it allows me to go off the record with him all the time, um, which I think is super important. Um, you know, I think some media or some uh, SIDs get nervous that it's the media so I can't get burned or I'm afraid they're gonna say something. But if you have trust with a reporter, you can just, again, treat it, you know, like you would with anyone in your life. You know, you've built the trust. Uh, now you can, you know, trust in each other. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times, like especially now during COVID, if we have a game cancellation or our team is currently on pause, like we've given him that, st- that information to put out before we put it out ourselves. you know, letting the, the media break your news, I think is important because then when you flip it back around, and say maybe, you know, God forbid something happens where there's a police report and there's a, pl- and there's a player, I've had situations in the past where, you know, a reporter I've built trust with has said, hey, you know, I have this information that I've gotten, but I wanna give you guys a couple hours to be able to respond to it. So, you know, I think the thing about, you know, Sports Info and or media relations and the media is you both need each other. And I think finding the best ways to help each other out um, is the best way to have a symbiotic and fulfilling relationship.
0: Yeah, symbiosis is really uh, what I've seen, and obviously we have a very similar market that we're appealing to for you know, Mason and GW both fighting for time here in, in D.C., but uh, the lessons apply whether you're in a, a big market or whether you're in a small market, and I know, Bud, you, you've talked about that you were at Gonzaga before Gonzaga, and now you're working with the Division three schools, so what's your experience like in terms of media experience, uh, You know, trying to create that relationship at the, at the so-and-so and not as, as big of a market?
2: I think in a, in a smaller market like Spokane or in our area where, where Pullman, Washington State is is about an hour and a half south, um, it's, it's an important thing. It's also a little easier to do because there's not as much pressure on the coaches in our area as there is, say, in a, in a major media market. And because of the the fact that there are three TV stations, a couple of sports radio stations based in Spokane, along with uh, the newspaper and, and you, you don't have as much cutthroat competition so that you, you tend to be able to, to develop these relationships and, and further those relationships a little bit more. Um, one of the things that, that's difficult now, I would think, from a sports information standpoint, is making sure that those relationships include you. Because a lot of times now, because of social media and everything else, reporters and coaches might have ways of getting in touch with each other and the trading of cell phone numbers a lot easier now than they did before and and it's important that you're able to to work with your coaches and make sure they understand you need to be a part of that loop uh, from that standpoint
0: totally agree I've seen it a lot where you have you know you get a freshman that comes in and the hometown paper wants to do a story on him or her and that hometown reporter reaches out straight to your player and having that ability in the communication, which sort of leads me into my next point about developing player relationships with the media um, and making sure they're aware that sports information is here to help them and supposed to continue to help them out, you know, as they move along so that if they get, they may have a great relationship with that reporter from, I don't know, somewhere in Maine for some one of our players in DC, that at least we're here to help them and make sure that we're protecting them uh, so, how Mark or, or Bud or, or Danny? How have you guys uh, gone about preparing your student athletes for the media, and uh, you know the media training aspect of things? What aspect do you see in that?
3: I had a chance to work for um, within the SID department at University of Tennessee for a couple years, and I saw them pull uh, the freshman student athletes aside and they had this actual specific class just for those incoming uh, freshmen. Well, they're obviously already at campus, but they had people like me come in and I did fake mock interviews with some of those guys and, and, you know, pulled up old embarrassing and embarrassed them in front of the whole class, but old embarrassing Twitter Posts or Instagram posts just to show like, hey, maybe you don't post this type of stuff any longer. Cause you know, everybody can see it. You're now re- representing the school. Or um, pointing out that you can see the likes on Twitter as well. So just because maybe you're not tweeting it or retweeting it yourself, that people can still see what you are liking. And that is now popping up on their feeds. So just being able to monitor them by that standpoint. And then it was just really fun for me to get to do that with them because I would take a little camera in and I would Sit them down and ask them questions and teach them you know it is okay to take a breath before you answer a question it's okay to repeat the question in your answer to give you more time to come up with what you want to say or simply ask them to repeat the question um any way that you need to buy yourself time is totally fine and i think if athletes feel confident going into that first conversation with media that then they just overall settle down a little bit and i think my last piece of advice that i used to tell them all the time was to smile because you know a lot of times you're seeing these interviews on the news and you you know your mom the mom of the household or whoever is you know stirring food on on the stove and not really paying attention but happens to glance up and see you and maybe they're not totally listening to what you're saying but you're smiling so hey now they want their kid to come watch you because you look charming so it was I think that that class that uh, the SADs put on for the student-athletes the new ones was really helpful.
0: And Mark, I know you guys have a, a, a big experience in terms of similar types of media training.
1: Yeah, um, you know, similar to what Danny said, we do, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I um, do like a PowerPoint presentation with examples of good and bad interviews in the NBA. Um, you know, they obviously purport to want to play at the highest level, and they really idolize a lot of these famous players. So I try to find like, you know, a good Donovan Mitchell interview. Or maybe one where Russell Westbrook was kind of snippy and kind of show them what the difference is and not you know in this era of name image and likeness your brand is critical and you know, the better you work with the media and treat the media the better you're going to look um, and the, the more respect you'll get around the country um, and you know once that's done you know also um, back to the media point I'll put up headshots of every media person that covers us just to give them an idea um, of who's going to be there and if say they do a sit-down interview um, the next game you know if once the interview comes out, I usually have them go over to Press Row, um, you know, pregame and just, you know, go and say thank you, introduce themselves. I think it's good, good to build the relationship. And then um, in that media training, we then break them up into four stations, um, one for a mock press conference, one for a mock print interview, one for radio, and one for TV. And we do bring in um, a local uh, TV anchor for um, the TV part so they get to know them. And they do the mock interviews, um, as well as our, our radio person um, to give them an example of what a post-game radio interview might look like. So try to prepare them as much as possible. And I have gotten good feedback from the players that it does help them as they get into the season. And they're thinking about a million things to be able to to handle their press requirements.
2: And I've kind of seen that on both sides from an SID standpoint, and also from a, a member of the media asking the questions. And one of the things that, that I think is, is, a big thing to do is to show, I think Danny alluded to this and Mark as well, maybe some videos, uh, maybe not showing social media stuff, but show, show a, a snippet from an interview where someone is willing to take just a second to think about what they're going to say instead of saying, well, you know, I mean, um, and, and if you show them a clip of someone taking a second, and silence is okay for a second, as opposed to the, well, you know, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's amazing first impressions. Uh, the mom that Danny was talking about washing dishes and hearing that she's going to hear, well, you mean, I know and think, well, that school doesn't do a very good job of educating those, those student athletes. But if they hear someone who sounds like they're thinking about what they're doing and thinking for a second before they speak,
0: I think that makes a, a big difference. Uh, make sure guys if you have any questions feel free to put them in the chat as we move along here uh, we've got a bunch of topics as we're going along uh, one thing I want to discuss is it's sort of a it's an interesting topic within the sports information world especially this year is the value of, uh, of game notes and how sports information can help uh, your position your school and position your teams with the media uh, I know personally I am a huge fan of them and it's been tough saying hey we're not going to print them this year and things like that but uh, Mark I want to start with you in terms of what you view value game notes and how you value game notes, whether it's more than just basketball, if it's, you know, baseball or softball or lacrosse or anything like that, what's the value of game notes in your opinion to help media out who are maybe coming in for a game?
1: Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, the A10 TV deal is kind of funky. It has NBC Sports Network, CBS Sports Network, ESPN. Um, so on every given week, we may have three different networks on three different games. So I think for those people coming in and not, you know, covering Mason often during the year, they might be turning around from a game they covered the night before. So they need a a good thirty thousand foot view. And then if they have time, you can give them specifics too. So what I try to do is I try to watch one of the networks broadcasts and see like where they ID individual like players and what they put up. Like they put up fun facts, they put up um key trends, and I try to, to mimic the stats after that. I think throughout the year, I try to work with our players to get as much human interest stuff as I can. And so, you know, I try to have in my game notes, maybe you have a player that's a juggler, maybe you have a player that speaks six languages. And those are always things that they can talk about when a player gets to the free throw line or something like that. Um, You know, almost every TV broadcaster has a chart that they use and radio with, you know, one team and another team with headshots and key trends and their stats. And I just make one of those in my game notes. Um, And basically I've had some reporters say that, uh, you know, they use that in lieu of their chart or they just use it as a supplement, but it's extremely helpful. So I always get feedback from, from TV and then I work it into my notes as best I can. Um, I think trends are really important too. People wanna to know how your players have done over the last three games, five games, things like that. Um, and then, like I said, at the same time, you have your print writers that are covering you all year long. And it's important to be, you know, finding some really in-depth stuff for them too, because they're gonna be getting the notes every game. But But I do think, you know, as everything's moved to social media, um, you know, Sometimes the media side of media relations gets lost in the shuffle, um, especially in sort of the corporate world we're living in. And I think for me, I think the media relations part is critical. I think good airtime. time, you, as an SID, you can almost create time of possession on the broadcast for your team with the more information you give the reporters. And if that's on national TV, I think that's far more important than whatever tweet you're gonna put out down the line.
0: And also I would think it, it definitely helps. And we've all been here where your team is maybe not doing so great in a game you're getting waxed or getting blown out well now if they don't have anything to talk about what are they going to talk about it's the fact that you're down by 30 or they're going to talk to the other team so now if you have those fun facts or if you have that information because uh, i am similar to mark in terms of I, I basically game notes are the lifeblood like hey here's everything you need to know about our program in 20 pages at most and I know, Danny, you can come from the media side of things in terms of you're flying in for a game and then you're going to another game and you're going to another game and you need these types of things to be able to accurately cover it.
3: Absolutely. I feel like the games that I felt the most unprepared for would be because of that situation. You fly from one to another in a different conference. Uh, it just got thrown on your schedule last second. I show up to the gym and there's no SID Uh present because they had canceled a shoot around and I'm standing there thinking there's a shoot around and there's not, and I can't talk to one. Uh, Their game notes are one page and it's really just the stats. That really puts me in a tough position because then that puts me trying to kind of linger around the team during warmups to see if anybody will just come chat with me. And that is sort of bypassing an SID, which is what we don't want, right? So um, I think that the SIDs that would I would reach out to them typically or some will reach out to me a few days before a game. Um, we'll chat back and forth about if I need anything or if I can come to shoot around. If I can't, can I hop on the phone with coach because I won't be able to beat it at shoot around, things like that. Um, and then Gosh, you just hit the nail on the head there, Mark, with the fun tidbit stories and stuff like that, just because there is so much fill time. You know, you never know. There's so many rules in a basketball game right now, right? So the refs have always got to stand around and chit chat about something these days. But during that time period, we still are on air. So what, what do we talk about? And you could be thinking, man, we don't have like a deaf person on our team or we don't have, you know, one of those really elaborate stories. Even just who's roommates on the team Who wasn't gonna come here and switch their decision last second? Just because it's not a monumental fun fact, we can use those little teeny tiny tidbits to go further.
2: Just in in terms of game notes, um, for those of you who might be starting out as an SID at a smaller school, and maybe because you are not being covered by many members of the media, you don't see a reason to do game notes, I, I can tell you that having come from Division One and then now doing Division Three, the game notes are more important to me at Division Three level than they are at Division One. Because Division One, there is national exposure. If I want to know something about GW basketball or George Mason basketball, I can get on the internet and learn a lot. I can't do that as well with the university of puget sound or or plu because that information just it's not there because they're not getting covered as much so the game notes are huge and my hat's off to steve flagel the sid at whitworth who's on this call um, because he does a great job of, of game notes and i wish the other schools in the conferences would do that because the thing that's different about d1 to d3 is for many of the fans and family members of players and whatnot when their team is playing on the road they're seeing a feed of the game from the home team and quite often we'll have the home radio mixed in with it and or if they have a separate broadcast but i feel bad at times when i'm doing the whitworth games when i don't have as much information about the opposing team because i know that's a big portion of the audience are the people that have ties to the opposing team. And they know more about the team than I do. And and I'd like to be able to add some of those tidbits in, but because the other schools don't do game notes, I don't have that information. You try to grab it from the other team as you can, but as Danny said, that's a hit or miss thing and it's pretty tough to do. So uh, even if you don't think your game notes are a huge thing at a smaller school, I think they can be to help out in, in the instance I talked about, but also having them available for your fans on your website so they can feel like, Hey, I'm getting to know these players on these teams and I can root for them that much more because I know a little bit about them.
3: That just made me think by not only smaller schools, but some of these sports, like I know at the top of our head, we've got basketball and football, right? Where they're getting all this exposure, but maybe your soccer team, your women's soccer team is really like killing it. Maybe they're on some crazy undefeated Streak, well, we're there covering a basketball game, but hey, if you tell me about your women's soccer team and something really cool about them, I'm going to find a place to get that in there because that's just the buzz about your athletic program. So don't just stay narrow minded on one team. I would say, you know, if anything cool is going on at your school, if you're having some sort of midnight madness tomorrow night and all the players are gearing up to go to that after this game, tell me about it. I'm ready to hear about it.
0: Yeah, and, and just think that it's Especially for those like like Bud said, where you're going, um, you know, there's at the smaller level, there's going to be people that are seeing your team for the first time, and most of these people are seeing the team for the first and probably only time. So uh, you're to you're able to control the message in terms of this is what we want to be told about um, our team. We do have a question in the chat from Brant. Um, I'll open it up to anybody. Do you limit yourself to a certain number of pages on your game notes? And uh, then what are some big key points that you like to put in your game notes? Mark, I know you, you mentioned some of the key points you wanted to usually put in there.
1: Yeah, I think for the page limit, you know, our league will have anything from like 15 to like 50. And I remember someone saying, I think it was when the Heat won the championship however many years ago, they said the NBA, the Miami Heat only have 23 pages of game notes. So if you have way more than that, you probably don't need that many. So, you know, I think you want at least a page for your seven or eight, best players in basketball, at least that would have, you know, career highs, game by game, um, personal information, uh, season highlights, and you would do the same thing for, you I think like a lacrosse team or, um, you know, a soccer team, you know, you want to highlight the the best players in depth. And then, um, like I said, the trends on the first page, um, who your probable starters are, regardless of sport, the schedule, Um, I think that's all important on the first page. And then we usually have, you know, a few pages of notes, box scores, et cetera. But, you know, we could always follow up on that if you want more info on that. Um, But I would say, um, you know, I think anything that that highlights, you know, even if it's like if your team is, say your team's 0 and 16, there's still going to be individual players that are performing well, or maybe there's players that are doing something in the community. Um, Maybe they're taking some interesting classes. Like you can always... Um, throw some lipstick on a pig regardless, I think we're all about in the promotions business, so.
0: And and also Cosida does a a digital publication test each year that highlights some of the best in game notes and media guides. Um, I don't have the link offhand, but I know that uh, Lori might be able to populate it or uh, I'm putting her on the spot, but also there's awards every year for the best game notes and the best media guides and things. So those are always great examples and the best game notes uh, I, I will not lie that I've stolen stuff from Mark and I know Mark has probably taken stuff. You look and find what the best teams are doing, what you really like. Um, and again, I always come back to game notes are basically like, here's everything you need to know about our team. So if you do come in, especially this year with COVID, um, many broadcasters aren't going to be able to travel with teams so or travel to games. So they're going to be calling it from their living room. So you're not going to be able to have conversations that shoot around. You're not going to be able to have uh, those one-on-one conversations like Danny mentioned before the game. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, it's in the chat now. <laughs> um, and you're not going to be able to have those one-on-one conversations courtside or uh, field side before a game. So these, again, it's even more important. Uh, but I want to touch on, uh, there's a question in the chat, and it was sort of my next topic. Uh, we talk about the importance of human interest stories in terms of finding out, you know, who are roommates and things like that. Well, that goes back to the SID having the relationships with players. So, how are you able to foster uh, relationships with players so that they're comfortable enough to chat and tell you about these human interest stories? So you could find out beyond just, uh, you know, whose roommates. I know, Bud. You and I have talked about beforehand. You had a really cool story when with Washington State, uh, where you're finding out the the Juilliard player.
2: Yeah, that was a, a cool situation. And, uh, you know, you talked about um, putting lipstick on a pig. Uh, I covered Washington State basketball when they were horrible and, uh, and would go 1-17 in, in, in Pac-12 play. And, and you're constantly searching for, for positive things. And during one of those stretches, found out one of the players who uh, was not a, not a starter, not a regular guy, but because they were getting blown out so often, he got to play a decent amount. Um, he had been accepted to the Juilliard School of Music and so we did a little a little thing on that on the coaches show and, and played up on that. And it turned into a big deal to where when we'd check into a hotel, if there was a piano in the lobby of the hotel, teammates and other people traveling with the team would get Cedric to, to play the play the piano. And that was kind of a bright spot in what was another otherwise dismal season. And there there's some really, really cool stories like that if you get a chance to build those relationships and, and, and get a chance. And a lot of that is dependent on your coach. Um, Over the years at Washington state, we were blessed with some coaches who were very outgoing and wanted you to get to know their players. And then the last four or five years I was covering Washington state, that was increasingly difficult because Mike Leach did not allow you access to talk to any of those players. And I thought that was an unfortunate thing for him to do for the sake of the players because those guys never understood what it was like to do an interview and, and they never received that experience. And for the ones that were good enough to go on and and play professionally, the first time they had a microphone stuck in their face, they were like a deer with you know deer in the headlights thing, because they just had never been able to do it before. So if you're able to encourage your coach or coaches, I should say, to to be able to, to create an open situation uh, with the players. That's a, a great way for the players to grow as people in addition to as, a, as athletes.
3: I think that's a really good point. I saw it a lot at Tennessee. They got overwhelmed um, with you know the requests for media or things uh, like that. And the way that the specific SADs that I'm thinking of got around that as they were talking to the coaches about how crucial all of this is for recruiting. So at the end of the day, you really are a tool um, for recruiting, the videos you're helping push out, the the just hype around your team um, is gonna make whatever player they're recruiting down the road be able to Google you, to see it, to see it on your Twitter handle, Um, and so I think Don't ever forget how crucial you are in the process of recruiting. I'm dating a a division one college basketball coach right now. And it's, he's just always about what graphics can this guy make? Oh, he doesn't know how to do graphics. Uh, What video can we put out on, on our city, you know, and it comes down to SADs because he just constantly wants whatever they put out there to give to these recruits.
1: Um, but for what Kevin was saying about building relationships with their players, um, you know, you can obviously do that, um, you know, when you're you, know, you want to go to practices after COVID go to practices, um, you know, anytime you can be around players one on one so you can build trust with them too, they want to see that you're a part of that sort of inner circle. Um, and, you know, if you're looking for good stories to pitch, like, if it's a story of resilience, or maybe there was a tragedy in, in the player's life, they're probably not going to just come up to you and tell you that. Um, So a lot of times, you know, the team, every team's going to travel in an entourage. There's going to be a trainer. There's going to be a strength coach. There might be a team chaplain. um, And you want to immerse yourself with those people because they might be the ones that just in conversation, you know, bring something like that up. You know, we had a player when I was at High Point. um, I was able to get Sports Illustrated to fly into High Point University for two days to do a big feature on him, which I was shocked, but it it worked. Um, But he had some difficult parts of his life that I was able to find out. Um, through, uh, through, I think it was one of our assistant coaches, um, and we had built enough trust with the player that I was able to go up to him and say, hey, this is something that makes you unique. The fact you've been able to overcome this and get to this point, um, you know, makes you elite. And, you know, I want to make sure you're comfortable talking about it on this grand of a stage before I pitch the story. And he was, um, and, you know, I think being able to get information from him, information from the different coaches and support staff, I think is huge to be able to find those stories and to be able to pitch them to really high level places. Again, it doesn't matter. Like you could be a D3 school and get, you know, a story on CBS.com or something. And just the quality of the story is most important.
0: Uh, The question from Jared, how have uh, you managed the importance of building relationships with meeting incoming players this year with such limited interpersonal contact? Thankfully, Zoom exists. I don't know if that's, we should be thankful for that. Um, but I think it's, from my perspective, I've tried to, like we weren't allowed on campus until about a month before basketball started. Um, but I made sure to talk with the coach and uh, emphasize to her that I would still want to be a part of the inner circle and be involved with team meetings and things like that. So that at least I was a box on the Brady Bunch of Zoom. You know, like if people knew who my face was beforehand. Um, I rarely said anything rarely did any of the things pertain to me uh but you're present so that when you're not um not ever so that every time you show up you're not asking for something if that makes sense so you want to be a part of the team because if you show up and every time it's because so and so needs to have an interview they are gonna be like oh here comes the interview guy again um so making sure you're part of the team and being there i think uh can still happen um and of course there's different levels in terms of like Uh, Again, it goes back. Bud made a really good point about the coaches really control. So having great relationships with the coaches and asking them, hey, how do you want me to be involved with your student athletes? So that some coaches be like, you know what, you can text them if you want to, type of thing. You can have that type of relationship back and forth. But I think it's about putting in the effort and making sure that you're there and present, uh, not just there to do your job every time. Um, And whether that, so like Mark said, going to practice, which may not be the best idea now um but now you can just sort of sit in the corner and wave it's like hey i'm here i see you good to see you guys type of thing um hope that answers your uh, question jared uh do have a couple other questions in here uh from tyler how much does the sid job description change based on the level you're working uh from division three to division one um i'm gonna throw that to bud if you have an answer
2: (laughs) yeah i would say um the biggest difference Tyler is in division one you're going to be one of x number of SIDs in the office and you know as Kevin and Mark have talked about they work with particular sports where my my hat is off to anybody who's a a, a, an SID at the division three level because they're usually a one-man band and they're covering a lot of sports because for instance, Whitworth has a as a number of sports. I want to say 17 off the top of my head, but maybe it's maybe it's a few more or less than that. But but that's a lot. And there's a lot going on. And if if there's and I think you know, most have maybe a student assistant or a half a person in their office. So uh division three level, you're you're needing to be everywhere and you're you're never going to have a weekend off because one of your teams or two or three of them are going to be at home. And you're going to have to be able to, to write up a, a story about the game and, and get the stats posted online and everything else. Whereas at the Division I level, you're going to basically be in charge of one sport that's in season at that time. So it, 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 it's like when I started out in TV, I had to be the photographer, the reporter, the anchor. As you go into a larger market, you're an anchor or you're a photographer or you're a reporter. So you, you become a jack of all trades at the D3 level, which I think is wonderful training for being at the D1 level. Because, But it also allows you to get a feeling for, hey, I like this or eh, I'm not so thrilled about this part of the job. And you can try to specialize in that as you further co- your career move up.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I, I was, um, you know, I started sort of part-time in the office at High Point and then became in it, went to High Point and then went to GW and the higher level you get, the more specialized you get, but it's better to have, you know, a breadth of knowledge because God forbid a pandemic shows up and you're not able to hire external people to do what you usually hire them for Like we're very fortunate at GW and Mason to have people come in and do stats during games and to have you know, multiple people do social media. Well, you know what, this year we don't really get to do that. So it falls back upon your knowledge and your information that no matter what level you still have a baseline of things uh, that you need to do, whether that's stats, whether that's notes, whether that's social media, whether that's relationships with the media. Um, and I think that that's really important all throughout the whole thing. Um, anybody else have any other questions? I know we still have some things we probably want to talk about, but uh, we don't really have a time limit on this thing either. So. Um, I know it's getting later in the day, but does anybody, if you have any other questions, yes, Tucker, appreciate it. Uh, Do you guys feel that a master's degree in a program such as sport management is essential to becoming a successful SID? Uh, Well, Tucker, I'll be uh, clairvoyant. I am literally in a master's degree for sport management right now. Um, I think it helps, uh, but I think one of the bigger things is if you can combine um, a master's degree with a graduate assistantship so that you're getting real life experience while also getting education. I started out in broadcasting, so I did not get my master's degree immediately. Um, but I know Mark, you have experience in terms of using GAs to get yourself, get your feet wet in the field.
1: 100%. I, that's what I did um, after I graduated. I got a GA at Providence. Um, I got an MBA for free with zero debt um, and a very tiny stipend, but uh, so I was able to get through those two years. But I also was able to, to work with you know, Big East lacrosse, um, Big East volleyball, and I was secondary men's basketball. So I was like sitting courtside at Madison Square Garden when I was like 23. It was incredible. Um, And I would recommend a GA to anyone if you can find it. Um, It's an incredible way to get your feet wet. You could do it at any division, Um, you know, and I think the degree, I don't think the degree is critical to being an SID. I will say, you know, if you have aspirations to eventually get into an administrative role um, in athletics, something like an MBA or sport management can really supplement your your um, resume to the point where if you're in a managerial role, you have a managerial degree. I think um, you know that's where it can come in handy on that end, I think.
0: Yeah, I would summarize by saying, don't go to school just to go to school, if that makes sense. Uh, make sure it's becoming purposeful. Um, and, and GAs are the great opportunity to do that. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about is I'm, I'm going through my notes here. Um, Danny and Bud, I want to pitch this to you from a media perspective. What's an example of, of a good experience with an SID that helped you? Maybe you, Danny, you were flying in for a game and you had no idea who these teams were. So what was it like a good experience and a bad experience of uh, an SID that maybe helped or didn't help you in your job?
3: Yeah, I can really only think of a couple of really unhelpful SADs and that one in particular, i leave the schools out of it because it just doesn't matter. But um, that was one one thing, not having game notes, also showing up to a shoot around that ended up being canceled because they had a game like a few days before and coach just wanted them to rest or, or some, for some reason, but we were not told. So, um that was me being an analyst, not a sideline reporter. And I'm just sitting there with the play-by-play guy, just in an empty gym with nobody to talk to. So that was really tough. Um, I think communication with your broadcasters is super important because they're not getting those um, team texts or whatever it is that uh, tells you if you have shoot around or if you don't. Um, but a, another difficult experience was a set that I, that I can think of was being a sidler and Porter for a football game. Um, you know, the, the SAD was very wound up. I understand it's a very stressful day. Um, but the spot that he told me to stand to wait for coach uh, for the halftime interview uh, is not the direction that coach went. And I realized that coaches have a mind of their own. I was an athlete. I understand. They're like in another world sometimes. They just do their own thing. I totally understand that. But he yelled at me. And I just was very taken back by that because I'm a guest and I, it wasn't my, I stood where you told me to, and I'm, it's not my fault that he didn't come this way. And it was just, I just think it was a high stress situation, but I'd probably advise against not yelling at the broadcaster because <laughs> um, I, I guarantee you, I'm just trying to help your school by by getting him on the air. Um, but for good, uh, I, like I said, most of every uh, school that I've ever been to has been great uh, with SIDs. I I reach out to them first. I don't know if that's just because that's who gave me my start in broadcasting was an SID office telling me, sure, you can make your own little videos about every sport and put them on our website. And I was like, cool. So I guess I have a deep, deep uh, love for SIDs um, because That I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for them but I do think that the ones that reach out they either offer information or offer to hop on the phone prior to the game or allow you to come to shoot around or allow you to talk to a coach um I think just just the small things like that they seem like oh yeah of course no-brainers that's what we should be doing but it helps so much it calms my nerves to be able to talk to you and have you know so much about your team um it it makes me feel confident going on air and and having that dead space and being able to fill it.
2: Yeah. Echoing what, what Danny said, um, that's probably the, the one thing that I take away from, from things. And, and uh, I remember in a rivalry situation where the, the SID uh, from the opposing school, you know, kind of acted like they didn't exist because I was from the other school, and instead of wanting to to help you out and give you info so you can have a, a better broadcast, so um, there, those are usually few and far between. It, it it is nice to have someone you know with a smile and, and greet you and say, "Hey, I'm glad you're here, and uh, thanks for doing what you're doing, and what can I do to help you out?" and and then you can ask them a question based on what you read in the game notes or something of that nature. But again, it just goes back to that communication. And, and, and again, they're coming, a reporter or broadcaster is coming to your school or your game to help promote your product. So you treat them as a customer and a customer is always right. And you do what you can to, to make sure that their stay is comfortable and memorable from a good standpoint, not from a bad one.
0: I don't know how this ever if it actually ever happens but I always want in my head whenever we have visiting media come in don't be the reason they don't want to come back Uh, because we can control everything outside of the lines on anything and if they're like we're between this game and this game and you know this might have been a really bad experience and this was a really good experience who knows if that actually makes a decision for these tv networks or radio or something like that but you know what? They will definitely not come back if they have a really poor experience. It's like, you know what? They're really tough to deal with. I don't want to go back there type of thing.
3: And some things you can't control. Yeah, right? I was just going to say, some
2: things you can't control because when, when people would come in to cover Washington State and and the national media didn't do that very often because the Cougs generally weren't very good. But when Tony Bennett was coaching the Cougs and they, they were one of the better teams in the nation, all of a sudden you're getting – Uh, the seth davis of the world the andy katz of the world and people like that that are coming in and there was one reporter who said uh, he was just grumbling i hate coming to pullman and so i was like well why is that well you fly into spokane and it's an hour and a half drive to pullman there's it's mostly through rolling hills wheat fields but there's a town called colfax that's an hour south of spokane and it takes you two minutes to drive through town but do so at the 25 mile an hour speed limit. It's a notorious speed trap. And this national reporter was grousing and saying, you never wanted to come to Spokane again. Why? Because he got a speeding ticket in Colfax driving to the game. Some things you can't control.
0: Well, we appreciate everybody's time. I know uh, Laurie has posted some links in the chat about the podcasts and uh, the jobs and uh, you can also post your resume on cosida.com. We wanna remind you guys that there is another Cosita U Coffee Shop uh, next week, a week from today, December 17th. And the topic will be on SIDs and technology, uh, getting good technical skills you can learn for your resume and how to use them when you get a job, which is becoming ever more prevalent. That's sort of the other side. This is more the media relations side of sports information. And then you get the fun, flashy, uh, how to learn how to do things. I'm still learning what fleets are and uh, Instagram story and things like that. But uh, we got one more question here from Corey. Uh, what do you think are some things that someone only with sports info experience at the small college level can do to gain experience for working with the media in case they eventually end up working mm-hmm. at sport in sports info at a larger school? That is a great question, Corey. Anybody wanna to volunteer to answer that?
3: I think you can uh, try to when you do like if you work at a smaller school that's around a bigger school a lot of these production companies they come in and they need someone to hold the wire for the guy that's actually like filming the game they need somebody that is going to take the notes to the people sitting at the like at the broadcaster's table they need some a runner um they need help in the production truck pressing buttons you need zero experience they will teach you how to do it they just need a body there sometimes you'll get paid sometimes you don't but if you go to those bigger schools around the area, Um, if you're a small school, get to know their SIDs or reach out to them and then maybe they can connect you with those production trucks and then you're just at the game. Then you're like around people, Uh, not only are you around a bigger school's SID market, right? but you're also around media because you're just working around the team. So I've seen a few people actually uh, really take advantage of that from a smaller market.
0: For sure, and I think um, you know it, it's never it never hurts to reach out to specific media members if you have somebody in mind uh, just to talk with them. You know, uh, like Mark said, High Point, North Carolina has one beat writer. Uh, Washington, D.C. has four major TV stations and radio stations and TV stations. So having the app, so just because we don't work at a bigger school, uh, there's still always going to be media covering perhaps the bigger school, like Danny said. Uh, that's a great idea though, and or experience though in terms of go work in the truck if you can. Uh, They're always looking for people. So reaching out and just talking to people about what you could do um, so that they're prepared and they know of you, because there may be an instance that you know what, they don't know about your school and they don't know about your story. So initiating the conversation is a good idea.
1: And I think you can, you know, figure out sort of your sphere. So say you're in like, you know, your school's in like a suburb of Milwaukee. Well, you see if there is, you know, you have hyper-local media in that area and then you have your Milwaukee media, which might be like, ones you reach for for big stories and you find contact people for them. Maybe you set up a zoom and you just say like, you know, what, how are we relevant to you? Are there ways we can help you? What are you looking for from our school? Like, do you want to be on a distribution list where you get our press releases? Um, what type of features would you potentially be interested in? And I might say, you know, we don't have interest in your school or, or they, which seems unlikely, or they'd say, you know, any good human interest stories are important. Like you have an idea of what their audience is, who they're looking for, what they're trying to cover. Um, I think, again, the relationships, um, you know, it doesn't matter what level of school it is. I think there's always a market for good sports content, for sure.
2: I think another possibility on that, too, is depending on your location, if there is an NCAA event, a regional in any sport, there's a host school and reach out to the SID at that host school because they need tons of helpers and volunteers, similar to what uh, Danny was talking about in the truck, but they need people to moderate press conferences, to hand out releases, directing people where to go, and, and that's a, a great opportunity to get your foot in the door there too.
0: For sure, but I, I can echo that. Um, I've had the opportunity to work a couple NCAA tournaments. It's incredibly beneficial because it also expands your network. Um, before I even got started, I was, de- I was in Memphis and got to work at – I mean, it's a sweet 16, so it was really helpful, but, you know, got to know the Memphis Sports Information Directors. Got, I literally was just handing stats to people, but you get to see how, uh, you know, how the sausage gets made, for lack of a better term. So just exposing yourself to those types of experiences, if it's an opportunity, um, or, you know, talking to people about what they learn from those types of experiences, because most everybody has that opportunity. Um, if there aren't any other questions, I think that'll sort of wrap up. Uh, our coffee shop today. We really appreciate you guys taking the time. I know it's it's late here on the East Coast. Um, if you have any other questions, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Um, and we really appreciate your guys' time. But uh, if not, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Bud. Thanks, Danny. Uh, for Thank a great you guys. Panel, uh, shop. We appreciate you guys uh, spending some Thank time you guys. with us this afternoon Happy day. Happy holidays, everybody.
3: You too.